Politics. This is Ben Max coming to you now from New York Law School, where I've recently begun as executive editor and program director for the Center for New York City Law. If you've been listening to the podcast, you've heard that in recent weeks as we've uh, just gotten going here in that role and bringing the podcast over to New York Law School and the Center for New York City Law. But in case you haven't been listening to the last few episodes, now you know uh, and excited to continue the conversations here on the podcast talking in-depth about New York politics and policy. And then more broadly at the Center for New York City Law, we're going to be expanding the in-person programming here at New York Law School, as well as the reporting and commentary that's done through publications such as City Law and City Land. And we have some other things in store. So stay tuned for more on that coming up in 2024. We are speaking here today, we're recording on the afternoon of Thursday, December 21st, 2023, and we are looking ahead to 2024 a bit. And of course, today on the show, we are coming back to the issue of housing, perhaps the top crisis facing the state of New York. If you listen to the show regularly, you know we've been talking a lot about housing with a variety of different guests and perspective over the past couple of years. New York with its deep affordability problem, very high levels of homelessness, and an overall set of challenges relating to the supply of housing, including deeply affordable housing, especially in New York City and its suburbs, that many experts agree is making matters far worse and looking to government for some answers about how to increase the supply of housing among a variety of other potential mechanisms to address this crisis. Also at hand, questions about the state's population loss and how much that has to do with housing affordability especially, and much more. Now, many solutions are being proposed at the city and state levels, with Mayor Adams and Governor Hochul both making housing a top priority of their administrations. However, the governor's ambitious housing plan, known as the New York Housing Compact, met a cold reception Overall, in the state legislature in 2023, the legislature had some of its own housing priorities, but most of those did not pass as many parties sought what was ultimately an elusive grand bargain on housing here in 2023. So now we're looking ahead to 2024. The governor has said she's shifting some of her housing focus away from pieces of her housing plan that she unveiled in 2023, some of which were the most controversial part. She says she's still committed to the issue, especially to ways to spur more housing growth to meet population, job, and affordability demands, while many members of the legislature are also promising action as we head into 2024. Mayor Adams continues to pursue his own housing plans, including the unveiling of a major citywide zoning text amendment. We've talked about that at some length on this program. If you've missed those couple of shows that dealt with zoning, please do find them after you listen to this one. But the mayor also says that the city cannot meet its goals without state help, and he has a housing policy agenda he's seeking approval of in Albany in 2024. So my guest today is one of the people who's evaluating those asks from the governor and the mayor and holds significant sway on the issue of housing. 
And that is New York State Assembly Member Linda Rosenthal, a Manhattan Democrat who chairs the State Assembly Housing Committee. Assembly Member Rosenthal, thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm good. Good to uh, be on with you, Ben. Thanks for making the time. I appreciate it. I know it's a busy time of year with uh, some final end of year business uh, that you're taking care of, including bills you're hoping the governor will act on uh, or <laughs> the governor has to act on, uh, but you're hoping that will be signed. Uh, and also, of course, all sorts of constituent issues that that never stop um, in the holiday time. So thanks for making some time here. Sure. Let's zoom out in a big way first, and then we can get into some nitty gritty. You became chair of the State Assembly Housing Committee at the beginning of this year, the, the beginning of That's 2023. Right. So just uh, reflect for us uh, for a minute on your first year as housing chair. Uh, you jumped right into the fire here on this one. I mean, this was <laughs> the big issue uh, that we knew was going to be a real focus issue in 2023. Uh, what have you learned in the first year as housing chair? Any big takeaways that you're taking into 2024? What are some of your reflections on your first year chairing this important committee? Well, uh, first of all, I, I, um, have been in the assembly for about 17 years and I, became a member of the housing committee immediately. So um, becoming chair of that committee was always a goal of mine. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was just very happy that I was chosen by the speaker to chair that committee and at the same time make history because I'm the first woman chair of uh, the housing committee. Um, you know, to me, every year is the year of housing. Mm -hmm. Um and so it was gratifying that the governor agreed that housing uh, would be a major priority. But even if 2024 is not called the year of housing, it, it still will be. But, you know, it's it's you can work on your individual bills um, as a member, as the chair. You can help other members, you know, help them shepherd along their their bill. But it was different this past year because the governor set the table and said, here are the issues that I think as a new governor um, need to be addressed. And so I was I was grateful that she did that. I think some of her proposals took great courage, uh, although they didn't ultimately uh, result in legislation, for example, the mandates. Um, and that's a very thorny issue. Um, certainly places in Long Island said no way. Mm -hmm. um, places in other parts of the city and state said no way. And, and the, you know, I think her proposal was 3% growth per year in some areas, 1% in others. But I, I believe that that approach within a short budget time frame was never going to work in addition to the fact that it seemed to be plopped into our lap without there having been a foundation built mm -hmm. and you always you know with these with big ideas you certainly need to lay the groundwork especially among communities that will be most affected so i i think that's also why the governor dropped it mm -hmm. She saw the resistance. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, and the housing, the growth mandates, that, that was 3% over three years or 1% over three years, the 3% uh, uh, downstate and 1% upstate over, over three-year right. cycles. Right. Um, and I, I also think that doesn't work in every place. Um, you know, it, it has to be tailored to the municipality's um, particular circumstances. And um, there are areas in the state that you know, Westchester certainly seems to be willing in certain areas to do that and to concentrate on transit-oriented development. Um, but, you know, having, going back a, a, a bit, I got into this whole tenant space or housing space because years ago, um, and people know I'm very pro-tenant, um, that when I came back from college, I moved in with my grandmother and my landlord tried to evict us. And so not knowing how to deal with that situation, um, ending up winning, although the judge didn't know the law and said granddaughter was not immediate family, which it is. It I eventually got the lease in my name and uh, I'm now dealing with that landlord's son. So I I stayed there. I I am still there, but it it truly informed my approach to mm-hmm. tenants' rights. But that doesn't mean, and I think some people were were afraid, like oh she won't even talk to us from the development side. But I, you know, as chair, I'm certainly open to hearing what anyone has to say and what anyone has to propose. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you said earlier, we are in a tremendous housing crisis but it's not just new york state you know it is across the country and And, um that's why i think the federal government also has to jump in here uh to help all of us out a a, a fair point and i think there's uh, some increasing increasing conversation about trying to push the federal government for more although at this point uh asking the federal government for much of any action seems seems very challenging um So I want to touch on a few things that you the, that you touched on just there, but let me let me ask you just again, staying more broad for a minute. Sure. As we do look ahead to twenty twenty four, are there are there things that in your conversations, and I should mention that we'll get to in a minute. You just chaired a hearing, which is part of the reason that uh, I wanted to speak with you this week. You just chaired a hearing on Monday, December eighteenth, to help set the stage for twenty twenty four on housing. But is there anything either that you uh, came into that hearing or came away from that hearing with, or more broadly, that you can tell New Yorkers that you think 2024 will be different than 2023 in terms of the state taking more action on on the housing crisis? Are there ways in which maybe the governor pulling back from her proposal you think sets the stage for more compromise or Anything that you can sort of help assure people who say, wow, I can't I really can't believe there was this limited state action on housing in 2023. What's going to be different in 2024? Well, we did we did manage to get some things across the finish line. We gave uh, a bill that I sponsored, Haria. We gave HPD much more latitude when providing loans for affordable housing and for rehab. And that's going that's going to be very helpful. We renewed the J51 program, mm-hmm. um, which is also, you know, of uh, benefit to tenants and building owners as well. Um, and we did pass some other legislation regarding Frankensteining 
and uh, the borough's decision regarding fraud that hopefully the governor will sign shortly. Mm -hmm. um, so we did accomplish some things. We we also funded some essential programs at a rate that was higher than in the past that helped keep people facing foreclosure in their homes. Um, so you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say we didn't do anything. We didn't deliver. Um, it's the marquee items that get the headlines, but actually there are other things you can do and that we did that people don't know about as much that do mm -hmm. help the cause of preserving and creating more housing with a, you know, a five-year capital plan. But I think that, you know, the governor said she will not put mandates in the budget, but that doesn't mean she won't put other items in the budget. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll we'll have to wait for for her announcement. But at the end of, near the end of session, um, we had a task force uh, consisting of assembly and Senate members um, to, to go into what is possible to pass at the end of the year. We didn't end up passing it. That's a whole nother discussion. However, we did arrive at various um, agreements, at least preliminary and among both houses. Um, on how to proceed. So I view those as the starting point uh, for discussions in 2024. And and to me, one of the big items we need to pass, which the governor, by the way, did not include in her budget, is the Housing Access Voucher Program mm -hmm. uh, called HAVP. And that would provide for people who are homeless, people uh, at the risk of, home, of eviction or homelessness, would pay 30% of their income and they would get a voucher and the state would pay the rest, modeled on Section 8 federal vouchers. Now, what's interesting about that is that anyone who has an opinion about housing, whether it's the real estate or the tenant advocate, everyone agrees that we have to do this. There, there's a widespread agreement on that program. It always seemed like the governor sort of kept that out of her agenda, almost as a negotiating ploy. There's obviously been some disagreement between the executive and the legislature about how much that program would cost and how to cap the cost perhaps or, or that's, different that's, things. Of, that's right. I, right. I don't think, I mean, it's it that idea doesn't originate with her. Um, and I hope that, they have learned about the true benefits of this program and the fact that we can control the costs. Mm -hmm. You know, there was this uh, incredibly high number that people said it would go into the billions that this program would cost. In fact, we control how many vouchers will be put out there. And so uh, we could we could afford 20,000 vouchers with the $250 million that the houses put in mm -hmm. to the budget that is still existing. Um, so I think we we have to go forward with that. So this framework that you mentioned, and I'm mm -hmm. I'm uh, looking back at the list that the two houses put out at the very end of the session in early June, where uh, the assembly speaker and the Senate majority leader said that the houses had worked toward an agreement on uh, a housing platform, but ultimately 
saw that the governor was not going to be supportive of it in part because it does, didn't include her uh, growth program, her housing supply growth program, and also her mm -hmm. opposition to uh, good cause eviction protections. Mm -hmm. The legislature decided not to pass it. We don't need to, as you said, we I don't know that we need to revisit sort of those decisions, although, mm -hmm. you know, you, you can if you'd like. Um, <laughs> but that list includes, as you mentioned, the housing access voucher program. It includes uh, elements related to conversion of commercial buildings into housing. It includes an extension of the 421A tax uh, abatement program meant to spur uh, rental housing development. That would also include some uh, requirements of affordable housing within those developments um, and, and a number of other planks. I won't list them all, including but, uh, good, me, including good say, cause it, eviction. Go ahead. It wasn't a new 421A. What um, what the governor proposed in her budget and what was the cause of uh, the great lobbying was to those developments that got in the ground before the June deadline said that they could not meet their obligation to finish within the time frame allotted. So they wanted a four-year extension um, so that they would not be un ineligible for the program. Mm -hmm. So that whole discussion, and, and probably some will ask for that again, is to me was where are these projects? Mm -hmm. Only the ones that had lobbyists reveal themselves. So we still don't know where many of these developments exist, how many units of affordable housing they would produce, how much tax revenue we'd lose in exchange for that housing. And without a list of where all the projects are, uh, you know, it's 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 hard to extend. Um, it's hard to extend if you don't know where you're extending and if it's worth it. We had an opportunity to weigh in, and certainly I would have welcomed more information about where the projects sit. And so they, we still don't don't know where most of them are. So since we're talking about this specific plank, uh, I'll, I'll sure. go where I was going to go uh, later. Since we're talking about this specific policy, there's a difference between the potential extension of those older 421A program benefits. Yes. And a new version of the program. Yes. Which was not included in this housing package that the two houses had either gotten close to agreement on or conceptual agreement on. It's it's still a little unclear what, what that announcement was at the end of session. But um, <laughs> this is an issue that Mayor Adams and his team are now really pointing to as crucial to the future of housing development and supply in the city that includes mixed income housing, some market rate and some affordable that comes with it uh, in in 420A or whatever the new program might be called, developments. The city's mandatory inclusionary housing program, which requires some percentage of affordable housing within mm -hmm. rezoned development, was designed to coincide with a state level tax break like this. So the city is really even further than they were lobbying for some sort of both extension of the old program, but really also a new program that may include more requirements about affordability as, as a percentage of units. It may include labor standards, but they really want to see a new program agreed upon. 
What's your stance on that? What's your forecast on that for 2024? Because that might be the number one thing that the city officials are pointing to as key to housing growth in the city moving forward. Right. And that's what uh, Deputy Mayor Torres Springer spoke about at the hearing. Right. Um, and and I, I asked her if she was or was the city in discussions with the governor and her team on a program. And she kind of punted and said, yes, we're always in discussion. So there is no particular program to point to. Um, I think last time the governor put a 485W program in mm -hmm. that uh, in the budget, which didn't come to fruition. And last time she put nothing in about a new program. So I think there are different political strategies. Do I offer something and then get it kicked out of, uh, right. you know, any kind of Albany discussion. Um, I think 421A or a program like it is always on the table. It's the details. And in Albany, you generally don't give something without getting something. Mm -hmm. And our crises are twin. It's both preservation, keeping people in their apartments and the supply side. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's part of the dynamic with this housing situation. You can't have one without the other. And that's where we need a meeting of the minds. Mm -hmm. And is that, um, is it beyond the housing access voucher program that you think the governor needs to come around on? Is it that linchpin uh -huh. of of some some version of good cause eviction is essential yes. to yeah yes i i would say so and you know you can call it good cause you could call it you know tenant protections which um is how i view it mm -hmm. um i have many market rate tenants in my district and they've lived here for a long time and they've come into the office some in tears because they really don't have rights. They don't have a right to a new lease, basically. And they have been given increases that they cannot afford. They just can't afford it. And so they're going to have to leave. And part of the good cause equation is to um, give increases, allow there to be increases, but not 40%, not 25%. Something reasonable that will create stability for the tenants for the community and also the landlord will have a a good tenant who pays their rent. Mm -hmm. We have to have things like that. And it's not just in the city um, of New York. The city of Newburgh just voted the other day to um, enact the ETPA, Emergency Tenant Protection Act, and localities around the state, Albany, Poughkeepsie, Beacon, other places, want to opt into good cause, but we're told by the courts that they can't do it. They need a statewide mm -hmm. law. Mm -hmm. Now, even many uh, tenant advocates, as you know, and legislators who are in favor of some form of good cause eviction also point to the sort of increasing body of research, increasingly large chorus of folks who are saying, Adding broader housing supply at a faster rate also helps shift some of the power balance to tenants, also helps relieve some of that pressure that's on 
tenants facing these significant increases in rent if you don't have good cause eviction, but even if you do, um, where where would you put yourself in terms of that discussion? Do you, you know, you've, you've expressed some skepticism at times about sort of unleashing more market forces to create supply. How are you sort of thinking about that discussion and the importance of some sort of of way for the state to really spur more broad housing growth, even if it is part of a grand bargain that includes some of these tenant protections that you're more focused on? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we've seen recently, very recently, that um, people who make, who are low income earners up to, I think it's 32 to 60 something, are fleeing the city. And middle income are also fleeing the city. We can't lose those people. They are the people who work here. They are the people who populate the schools. They are part of the fabric of our state. And that's who we're losing. The millionaires are coming back and there are more and more millionaires than ever. So I'm really not worried about the supply of market rate housing. I think, you know, just in my neighborhood on the Upper West Side, there are five brand new buildings, some high rents, some co-ops, they, they're they not full. And there's a panoply of options for people who can afford to buy or to pay high rent. For the lower income people, there is not, which is why we need much more affordable housing. And 421A, there were some good things about the program, but there were many things that need to be fixed. Mm-hmm. So uh, while I certainly would entertain um, such a such a program, uh, we know many of the faults of the old ones, and we have to correct them. There's, for example, hardly any oversight. Um, you ask the city agencies, they say, well, that's with the state. And you ask the state, and they point back to the city. There's really no accounting. You know, uh, there was a building near me where many units were empty. The affordable units were empty. They still got their tax break. No one's monitoring that. There's a a particular problem with leases that basically force some tenants to self-evict. For example, the leases say, well, your 421A benefit is over next year. When it isn't. But no one's supervising that those leases are in fact correct. And some people have left fearful that they they won't be able to afford the coming increases when in fact there would be no increases because the 421A benefit lasted longer than they were told. Those are just some examples, but clearly it needs more teeth in the enforcement mm-hmm. area. I understand various contours that you're, you know, putting forward, and others have put forward about a replacement for a 421A program. And I think, uh, even as you mentioned, Deputy Mayor Maria Torres Springer said, you know, no, no one wants a recreation of the old program, but, right. but uh, no program is not an option, is I think the way she put it. Um, mm-hmm. On on this issue, though, it's it, I know you said something similar at the hearing, and it, it strikes me again to hear you say that you're not really worried about market rate housing, 
market rate housing in in you know in some sort some parts of the city you know people would consider sort of general generally affordable rents you know for middle class and even some you know working at working class income levels in some parts of the city is it is it your position that the state should not be involved in sort of figuring out ways to spur more sort of housing growth writ large no 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 okay. no no um I, I think the mandate route won't work, uh-huh. but I I do think that um, municipalities, and this is something the legislature proposed that was poo-pooed, but I think the governor understands this this way, is provide incentives. And so if we have localities devise their own plan, we tell them, you have to have a plan. You have to show us your projections for growth and what your needs will be. And they go ahead and build. They can get incentives towards that, um, because no one denies that there's a need for more housing, both market rate and affordable, across the state. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, in Syracuse, where they have this big chip chip plant, there are going to be thousands more people living there, and there's nowhere for them to live. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely, we we can spur. Growth. I'm just maybe talking about in parts of the parts of the city. You know, buildings are going up that are wealthy. But if we lose 1.7 billion a year in tax revenue because we're supposedly getting a good number of affordable units, you know that that part is questionable. We're not getting mm-hmm. enough affordable units. Right. That again goes back to the design of the of the yes. whatever the program yes. is. Yes. Um, yes. But again, that's tax. That's that's that tax revenue doesn't exist at all without the without the uh, the buildings happening, you know, in some, no, no, some no. way, shape I or mean, form. Right. I, it's it's foregone. Yeah, it's foregone. I, tax, yes. Potential tax revenue. Correct. Um, Correct. On the on the incentives, obviously, this uh, incentives versus mandates. Obviously, this was at the crux of of legislative mm-hmm. pushback from your vantage point. Is 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 this more of a political decision and calculation than practical and sort of what would be best case in a less, you know, politicized environment? Because other states have been through this. Most experts say if you do an incentives only approach, you'll get some, you know, you'll get some uh, areas that that partake. But areas of the state that are more exclusionary and want to stay exclusionary are going to stay exclusionary, um, and that includes parts of New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so is the is the sort of pushback against mandates more of just a political calculation, and mm-hmm. and you sort of agree that more broadly it, it would be the right thing to do to require growth everywhere, but it's just not going to happen in the legislature. Mm-hmm. Or how do how do you mm-hmm. capture sort of your viewpoint on? the realities of that type of program because the mm-hmm. governor the governor and others say this exact thing has happened in other states including California where they tried incentives that didn't work years and years went by and they finally passed some things that are that have a lot more teeth you know to it um because right. the crisis got more and more acute well i think Especially politics in areas yeah i mean politics will always play a role probably in every policy decision. Um, But you see the example of uh, Creedmoor, the Creedmoor campus, where there were many, many meetings and design 
challenges and and a lot of community involvement in how to develop that vacant vacant land or land with old mm-hmm. buildings that are mostly empty. This is there will Queens, always be Eastern people Queens for those unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. Right, right, Eastern Queens. There will always be people who say I want to maintain the character of my neighborhood, meaning one and two family homes. I don't want to see I mean they some people have there objected to six story buildings, which to me surrounded by 30 story buildings right. is kind of um interesting um the the mayor has proposed a rezoning and so that will address some of the resistance Mm -hmm. in neighborhoods across the city that do not want more building i think because we're in such an urgent moment that we need to proceed with the areas where they're willing to build and provide incentives um, and and keep tackling by we can require planning. We can require without the word mandate. Mm-hmm. We can engage in deeper discussions with municipalities and communities. And you can have carrot and stick, but that's not going to happen right now, it seems. Mm-hmm. So let's proceed with the areas that are willing to build um, and keep going keep pushing. We just have a few minutes left together here. And again, appreciate the time, especially at this busy time of year, uh, speaking here on Max Politics. This has been Max with New York State Assembly member Linda Rosenthal, who chairs the Assembly's Housing Committee. Let me ask you about a few specific things just in our last couple minutes here. Um, One other part of the city's state agenda is lifting what's known as the floor area ratio cap, which limits the sizes of certain buildings. They say it's an outdated mechanism. There's many buildings that already exceed this cap. It's artificial and it hurts the chance for more dense development. What's your stance on on that proposal? I believe that if we are going to lift it, perhaps not everywhere, that's a discussion, but also not lift it so that we don't get a good share of affordable housing. Now, I know if you rezone, then there's mandatory inclusionary housing at different levels, Uh, but we have to be sure of that. And we have to be sure that the people who need the housing are the ones who will be eligible. Um, You know, I know people who make 120, and some areas they're not eligible because they make too much. And then there are other areas where it's 40% AMI. And um, we need we need to make sure that those exist because we need housing across the board. So I think it's a it's a good discussion. There are many people in the conference who did not agree with lifting the FAR because of fears that we would just get more luxury housing. So it's a it's a discussion that we will continue to have. The city does have um, the ability on buildings built, you know, within a certain time frame to do the FAR themselves. Uh, I think a lot of this concerns the um, conversion. Some of it concerns conversion of commercial buildings to residential mm-hmm. and 
in the governor's budget, there was an incentive program, but it was not tied to it. And that's another concern I have. We don't want blocks and blocks of, um, you know, very expensive housing with no option for affordability in there. So that is a an important discussion to have. Seems like a, a lot of, of what we're getting at here is finding a way to say, uh, you know, to, to sort of unleash, I mean, you can correct me if I'm mischaracterizing a way that you would say it, but I think a lot of experts, housing advocates and others, you know, want to sort of figure out a way to unleash mixed income housing that includes uh -huh. affordability requirements, you yes. know, everywhere in the city and the state uh, to to make sure that not only that, but, you know, tack tackling, again, some of the exclusionary policies and the segregation that we see in certain exactly. parts of the city, exactly. but and also especially the suburbs. Um, lastly, I think um, the question of the rent stabilized housing stock, there's a lot of discussion that there's thousands, maybe tens of thousands of units that are currently offline because land based on changes to the rent laws done in 2019, landlords and building owners say that it just doesn't make financial sense for them to upgrade those units based on the amount that they're allowed to uh, right. raise rents. Are you looking at that issue at all? Do you foresee action on that in 2024? New York City put out a program where they're using some city money to help rehab some of those units as long as the refurbished units will then go to voucher holders. That's one mm -hmm. small program. But in terms of any statewide policy to address this issue, are you looking at anything? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the city IAI, MCI formula doesn't apply for most of the state. Um, in terms of what we call warehousing, and I do have a bill to address this, in 2019, as soon as the HSTPA was signed, landlords declared, okay, I'm not renting out units. So there are some that do need a lot of work, but there are also many that do not. They do need paint, they need appliances, you know, things like that, that landlords are not renting out. And I know that because we've talked to landlords who said it's not, I'm, I'm just not doing it. And we've convinced a few to actually rent out some of those units to people who were desperate. So I don't think it's an across the board, we can't afford it. I think it's uh, some landlords want to game the system and have the state pay for renovations that they themselves could afford. But in our, um, our package that we never voted on at the end of session, we did provide for an increase in IAIs so people could afford it. Mm -hmm. um, I think some groups are trying to hold hostage those units mm -hmm. and I'm not going for that. Well, again, as you as you mentioned, related to sort of 420 and a compliance, perhaps there's a, a a further degree of sort of auditing and evaluation that needs to be needs to be addressed. Well, well I mean, the city announced that program months ago. It just mm -hmm. began a couple of days ago, so we have to see how that works. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's twenty five thousand dollars that will be devoted to units. We'll we'll have to see who applies for that, how it works out. See if that's a useful use of city funds. Uh, anything we didn't get to that you want to specifically discuss on housing before we say goodbye? There was, um, uh, you know, obviously 
we don't we don't have time to get into the nitty gritty of good cause any further. But there right. were you know there were some other specific housing proposals that were either seemingly po popular in the legislature or things that the city is proposing or or uh -huh. the governor had proposed. Uh -huh. Any one item that we haven't gotten to that you think is is uh, well, important to highlight? I mean, from from the tenant side. Um, the right to counsel in the city is an excellent program. Unfortunately, many tenants who are in housing court do not have access to an attorney. And uh, through scarcity of attorneys and the plethora of cases. So, but I think it's an excellent program. We did provide some funding for that in other parts of the state. I think we need to institute a similar program throughout the state that's one of one of okay. the things yeah great well but, i appreciate you know my, my main what i'm sorry one no, last please. point is that you know fixing the housing problems are not the province of only a governor or only a legislature we all have to work together and i think maybe that's part of the missing ingredient we all have to invest time study expertise to make a dent in the problem. And I think that gets at, uh, again, as I was sort of saying in the introduction, the elusive grand bargain that 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 uh, didn't happen and people are looking for, you know, potentially to happen in 2024. Assemblyman Rosenthal, thank you very much for the time. Uh, let's check in again, maybe in, uh, I don't know, February or so and see where, see where we're at on, on all these yes. discussions and maybe touch on some other things we didn't get to. I have a whole list of things here I couldn't even ask you about, like property <laughs> tax reform and other things. Oh my things. goodness, that's but, a big uh, one. Yes, exactly. So thank you for the time. Be well, happy new year. Thank you, same to you. Mm -hmm.